So I know I plug Tenny's Pizza a lot because they're our sponsor. But not only do I plug Tenny's Pizza, I am a satisfied Tenny's Pizza customer. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I ate Tenny's Pizza tonight. I had the, um, what I always get? Oh, I usually get pepperoni and pineapple, which is delicious. The backyard barbecue, the kicking chicken. We always get one of those Oreo pizzas. I mean, I eat Tenny's Pizza at least once a week. And that sounds like a lot of pizza, but the thing is, I don't get sick of it. It's freaking legit. It's super good, high-quality stuff. Utah County, Salt Lake County, get Tenny's Pizza. Get on the bandwagon. Join the club. Get yourself some delicious tastiness tonight. Got a store in Riverton, one in American Fork, one in Saratoga Springs. On the episode tonight, you get to hear the owner of Tenny's Pizza, Kevin Tenny. You get to hear his story. And how Tenny's came about. As well, you get to hear about Kevin's struggles with anxiety. And Kevin is Bethany's husband. So we revisit back uh, with episode one, the loss of their daughter. It was a really awesome experience to hear Kevin and Bethany talk really deeply and emotionally about their experience together. It's yet another episode of... True finding strength where Kevin talks about what it was like to struggle as a teenager. And he also talks about what it was like to be a man who has lost a child. What it is like for him and how that struggle continues daily and what he does to get through the difficult things that he has to deal with every day. An incredible story, an incredible man, and one of our biggest, if not our biggest supporter. We are super grateful for everything that Tenny's Pizza does for us and uh, for Kevin and for him being willing to share his story tonight. So, without further ado, here it is, episode 12 of Finding Strength. Welcome to the Finding Strength Podcast. This is episode 12, and we are going to be talking to my husband, Kevin G. Tenney. G. <laughs> I mean, I can say what we really call him. G? G. Did you not oh, know? Oh, yeah. We that, have to keep this PG-13. We can't say what we really name. call him, because that would be... It wouldn't work out well. It's... it's it's. Uh, what does the G stand for? Garth. It's his grandpa's Garth. name. Garth. Kevin G. Tenney. Kevin Garth. So yeah, we're going to get down and dirty and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to learn all about him. <laughs> wow. This is going to be good. Uh, I'm, I'm actually uh, super stoked on the last podcast. Um, I've gotten a lot of really good feedback. I don't know if you've heard from a lot of, maybe not, but it's since it's like my work world. Yeah. Tons of people reached out to me about the Troy podcast and just said how much they loved hearing like the gigantic decline to full ascend again. I mean, his story down and back again, it's pretty freaking incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. He was really cool. So I'm glad that people responded so well to him. Yeah. And if you guys haven't heard that episode, definitely go back and uh, listen to it. Episode 11 is freaking epic. We kind of did like a... 
a triple thread of addiction. Like we had our episode in there, but it was like addiction, addiction, us, addiction. So we're going to steer a little bit away from that. Yeah. And kind of focus more on, well, uh, mental health in general is, is a subject that's got to be talked about more, right? And that's kind of the point of the podcast. When in reality, the thing we just want to do is we just want to help people. Yeah. We just want people to be able to basically get free tools to manage their life. And the reason why I wanted to bring Kevin on is because Kevin knows how to manage life because he's been through a lot of stuff. And that well, that's kind of my agenda coming into this thing. I don't know what you guys are thinking, but that's so what my I'm agenda at. is kind of there's so many things. Obviously, you know, we've been together for married almost twenty years together, like twenty three years. It's ninety six. Twenty two so, years. Yeah. So anyways, so I've known him so long. And there are so many things about him that people just don't know. Like people don't see. Even I would say a lot of our friends and family have never seen some of the things that he has to deal with all the time and that are they're hard. And they look at him and it's like, oh, he's, you know, we're happy. Life is great. And kids are happy. Business is good. But they don't see like the behind the scenes of what it takes to be successful kind of yeah, thing. And what he's had to go through and yeah. overcome and still has to overcome It's for him. It's a daily thing. It's not, it's not over. That's cool. So I'm we'll, excited to learn more about I was going to say, let's, let's let Kevin tell your story a little bit. Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? Um, I guess how far back do you want me to go on this whole thing? Where do you come from? Family? Parents? So, um, Who are you? born, in Maryland, grew up there until I was nine, moved out here with my parents, and uh, lived in Orem, went to Orem High School, uh, met you, obviously, in 96, when, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story, how me and Bethany met. We, uh, how old you guys when you guys meet? I was 17, and Bethany I was, was 16, so, hey. and I'll be 40 next month, so we've been with each other for longer. a minute. Yeah, for a minute, yeah. Um, but... So yeah, I went to Orm High and Bethany went to Mountain View, so rival schools. And um, my brother Greg got set up with her sister and they actually started dating for a while. And then her sister started uh, in, it, like uh, trying to hook me up with some of her friends. And so one night I went on a double date and I came back to Bethany's house and no one was there. And Greg and her sister went and made out. They're just making out downstairs or whatever. And so I was just like all by myself. And Bethany came in and she's like, this dude just like... I, well, I just got home from a date and I came and I was like, hi. He was just sitting on the couch when I walked in from this date. And so I looked and I was like, uh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, they're making out downstairs. I'm like, oh, I'm like, do you want to like watch a movie or something? Like I felt so bad for him. At the time, I wasn't interested at all because you were... Just Greg's brother. I didn't even know you. Yeah. And so... So you weren't attracted to him at all when you first saw him. So it was not uh, love at first sight. No, no. <laughs> so so <laughs> yeah. the interesting part was... No, this is the interesting part. Tell, so. tell him what you looked like okay. when I first met you. <laughs> well, so, so to be fair, she didn't even know who I was, I don't think, because at that point I, I just buzzed my head. But the first time she saw me... Oh. That's true. I had grown out my hair really long. Oh, I've and seen I permed it and I dyed yeah. it white and I had earrings in both sides. <laughs> I've seen pictures. And so she then I took out the earrings, buzzed my head, 
And That's true. That was yeah. the first time I saw you like kind of clean cut. Yeah, you wanted me at that point, I think. You're so full of it. So, <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, we ended up uh, just talking. Talking. We watched Richie Rich. I remember. I know. Yeah. How weird. Macaulay Super Culkin. Weird. Yeah, Macaulay right. Culkin. That's original gangster. And just right we dated for two and a half years and got married and had six kids and have had. One hell of a time, right? <laughs> oh, that's like s- such a boring version. Well, I mean, it, it, there's we only have so much time. To I know, talk but about there's that. things that begun while we were dating that I feel like have been super important to mention or tell people about now. Like, for instance, we had no idea you had anxiety as bad as you did. Do you remember that? Like, for sure. No, I, so. If we're talking about kind of my anxiety journey, um, I didn't understand that I even had anxiety, like, because it wasn't really talked about back then. And what ended up happening is, uh, so I ended up uh, serving a mission and I went to uh, Oklahoma City. And I think this is kind of where life changed a lot for me, where I didn't. I didn't know things about myself. I had never really gone away to college or anything like that. And uh, I remember it was the day I was supposed to go into the missionary training center in Provo. And I woke up that morning and my anxiety, which I did not know what that even meant, was through the roof. And it made me start having to throw up. And so I just kept on throwing up, throwing up, throwing up. And I wanted to go in so bad that... I, I went in anyway. I just felt like crap, but I'm just like, I'm going to go in. So I go into the MTC, um, and I go straight to the nurse, and I just tell them, I'm like, I can't stop throwing up. They don't think anything about anxiety either. They give me, like, this list of all these things that I can eat. And so I go to the cafeteria trying to get something back into my system because I had literally thrown up so much that, like, I started popping, like, the vessels in my neck. I'm puking up blood with my – I mean, it was oh, just wow. terrible. That's brutal. So I end up uh, eating this food. I have this uh, missionary, whatever, companion. And he's like, hey, do you want top bunk or bottom bunk? And I'm like, oh, I'll take bottom bunk. And he's like, okay, cool. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, like I'm scared to death. I mean, it's first day. And all of a sudden the anxiety just gets to me. And I just start puking off the side of the bed. Instantly, this Elder Miller guy, he's just like, I'm so glad you didn't take top bunk. That would have splattered all over me. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I, and I can't stop throwing up again. So they, they end up taking me to um, the emergency room, and they put me on an IV. And this is probably at, like, 9 o'clock at night. And they have an IV. And they did, like, multiple bags. I got done, like, at 1 o'clock in the morning. And I mean, that was like my first experience of like. Well, that you knew. So that, yeah. my favorite stories, why we were dating, like normal, we dated, you know, over two years. And we'd be, you know, like normal couple, we'd start like making out, getting hot and heavy, and all of a sudden he'd puke. Oh, <laughs> no, no, for real. It, it was happened like, it was, so many times. Oh, yeah. It was like. <laughs> It was like my mind started going down that path of like, okay, I want to do more. 
and I would be like getting a lot of anxiety anxious, and yeah. we'd be making out and all of a sudden I would just throw her to the side. Like, no joke. <laughs> you know, just start puking. It was like. Wow. And you stuck around with him. That's true I, love. I, yeah. yeah. No, the best part is we're like, oh. God is blessing that us. That must have been the spirit telling us we should stop. <laughs> yeah, that was really stupid. That's crazy. So yeah. That I just is, didn't know is, what anxiety was. Yeah. I didn't know anyone that had is that. Is that your earliest memory, though, like of anxiety? Or like, no. when you were a kid, did you have like anxious? Like, was it hard for you to talk in public? What, what, what did it look like as a child? So well, I'll, I'll come right back to that. So what happened was I, I ended up, you know, going through the MTC. Oh, MTC, yeah, sorry. And I fly out to Oklahoma and I get off the plane and I am just like having this horrible experience where like I literally felt like I was going to die. Like I, I don't even, people that have anxiety probably understand what I'm talking about, but like, if you don't, it's really difficult to explain because it's not, it's not normal. Right. So I get off the plane, I go to this, the mission president's house and my anxiety is through the roof. Like I'm in this different place. I don't know anybody. So I remember I ended up curling up on a, in a ball in my suit I lay on the ground and I just fall asleep. I I get up, I go to the AP's house or whatever, and I just have a breakdown in the bathroom. I'm just sobbing. I'm just sobbing my eyes out. Hmm. And I I just don't know what to do at all. And it's like and so then I I start throwing water on my face, trying to like or no, then they knock on the door. All right, no, it's time to say prayers. I'm like, oh shit. Like, really? I'm ha- like I am in the middle of a breakdown. And now I have to go out and see these guys. So I go out there, embarrassed and stuff, go the next day to get to our transfers. And the mission president is in front of all these people. And he he says where I'm going, which was like, uh, it was like Twin Falls, Texas or something. And for some reason, the word Texas just triggered my anxiety so much. And logically, I could not figure I'm like, if I if that's four hours away from the mission president's house, that's four hours there, four hours back, that's way too far. And so I stand up in the middle Start of this spiraling. meeting. Oh, yeah. I spiraled hardcore. I stand up and I'm like, Mission President, I gotta talk to you right now. And he's like, Okay, can you wait until I let everyone else know what's going on? I'm like, Okay, yeah. So then he pulls me aside and asks me, you know, um, if I have a girlfriend out. That's the first thing he asked me. And I'm like, yeah. Or do you have a girlfriend at home? I said, yeah. And he's like, do you love her? And I'm like, yeah. And he's, he's like, no, you don't. If you loved her, you'd stay out here. And at this point, my anxiety was so bad. I mean, it didn't matter what anyone said. I felt like physically I was going to die if I stayed out here. And I had to go back to that comfort zone of home. And so, you know, at one point my mom got on the phone with me and she she was trying to keep me out there, you know, and she was just like, you know, son, if you love me, you'll stay out here for two weeks, two weeks. You can give me two weeks. If you can't make it two weeks, I totally understand, you know, and I wanted to say yes. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. And then she's like, one week, just one week. If you love me, you can just stay out there one week. And I'm like, no, I can't. And so she's just like, this is not the same kid that left. Like you were so excited. And so she's like, when you get back, I want you to go see someone just to see what's going what's on. Going on yeah. And I'm like, I will do whatever you want me to do. At just this make point. this, just, just make this stop. Yeah. I mean, I need to come home. So I come home, I go, my mom takes me to uh, U of U and I speak to a therapist up there. 
I, he had some weird name. I can't remember what his name was, but Quackenbush. Or something. Yeah, Quack. <laughs> yeah, some weird name like that. Um, and he starts asking me all these questions. So this is where I'll go back to what you were saying. Yeah, you're good. Um, and he was just like, "Hey, when you were a child, did you struggle in school a lot?" And I was just like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" And he's like, and then he just keeps on asking me all these other questions, like. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Did you, does your mind race? Do you have a hard time focusing on these different things? And, you know, when I was in school, it's not that I'm a dumb person at all, but like literally like my anxiety would, it just made, I think it, my anxiety with my ADD ness was just like too much. Too much yeah. And, and then I started, he starts asking me about certain things that had happened. And this is my first one that I remember my first anxiety well, actually, not, I just thought of another one before that, but this one I think is a good story. So I really loved basketball growing up, and I I was, I went to Canyon View Junior High, and I wanted to make the basketball team. And so I practiced all the time out in the summertime on this little – back in the day, we used to have those hoops that mm-hmm. was in like a tire, you know, with oh, the cement yeah. in there and stuff. Those. And practiced like crazy. Seventh grade tryouts come. And the day of, just kind of like the MTC, all of a sudden, I am a wreck, okay? And I remember I, like, was trying out, and I'm just, like, freaking out. All of a sudden, middle tryouts, I puke all over the floor in the middle of tryouts. Like, on the court? On the court, yeah, like, because it just, it hits so quick for me that I'm, like, just done. And so it just affected me so bad at that point. And, you know, I also later got pants by our boy, Robbie Law's brother, Jason underwear and all that same experience. So it was kind of a, it was a terrible experience for me. Yeah. It's called secondary wounding. (laughs) Yes. I'm over it now, but it did. But it affected your self-esteem too. Oh, for sure. Big time. Bethany was saying, yeah, I was just saying it, it affected his self-esteem where, so he's feeling cool. He goes basketball tryouts and he's pukes everywhere. So he can't even really try out. And then because of his anxiety, you've got you're struggling in school. You also have ADD. And so you're really struggling in school, even though you're brilliant in so many ways, but yet you can't sit there and focus in the classroom. And, and, and societally or culturally, I guess, we, we kind of look at, at anxiety as like this, this nuisance it's kind of what I, that's kind of the feeling that I get. People are like, oh, you have anxiety, like you poor thing. Like that must be really hard. That's a difficult thing you deal with is is being worried sometimes. Mm-hmm. When in reality, like that's not what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like panic attacks, you know, panic disorder, generalized anxiety disorder. These are diagnosable things that are right next to, you know, PTSD and, and right next to you know, drug addiction and right next to major depressive disorder. And these are very serious mental health issues that contribute to some significant life struggles. Like you're a formidable age, man, 16 years old, thrown up on the basketball court. That's now I was 12. I was 12, not 12. even, I was 11 actually 11. Oh, that's this right. Happened. Seventh grade. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Seventh grade. That's horrific for a yeah. seventh grade. I mean like how much more embarrassing can it get? Well, it gets more embarrassing when you get pants and uh, underwear and all in front of all the other. That's a little bit more embarrassing. Well, and that and that like that like sets you up for like this thing later on in life that's just like I'm crippled. 
right? Like, it, it, that might not be how you think, but people believe, right? Well, like, I have this problem, and now I got to get fixed because there's something wrong with me. Like, I'm just playing basketball, and I'm throwing up. Like, what is going on? I'm, and, and, and some people might think it's anxiety. Some people might think it's nervousness. Some people might just think there's something wrong with me. In reality, the, the thing is, there's, there's tools. There's things we can do to manage our anxiety. But if you don't know what's the, what the problem is, like you do, you probably don't even know what tools or where to start. No, I mean, at that point, as I said, I didn't even know you what know it was. was. I had no clue. Yeah. You know, and it was, it, it's interesting what you were saying about how people look at it very differently. One of the, I have different experiences that I remember, one of them being Bethany's dad. Like, I remember when I came home from my mission and he was trying, I don't know exactly what he was trying to do. We, so he sits Bethany down and me down and he starts asking me about my mission and I'm trying to explain the feelings, which I, I still can't explain. You can't explain going through a panic attack like that. Well, I think just a quick preview, because not everyone on here has been or is, comes from an LDS background. Um, coming home from a mission early is actually very... It's horrible. Uh, like, what's the word? It's... It's definitely frowned upon. Frowned upon. There's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of... You, it's not good. It, it's it's almost <laughs> like a you can't hack it. Yeah. Like, it oh, you couldn't do it. Yeah, we all did it, but you couldn't do it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's It's getting better, I feel like. For sure. This day and age, but it was, it was bad. And yeah. so... He comes home and, you know, we were serious before he left and I'm still in high school. And so I've got my dad who wants to talk to him and be like, you know, what's, what's your plan now? And didn't come across very well. Well, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he said, he's like, so what happened out there? And I'm like, I just, I just, what did I say? Cause my words, he basically turned it on me. I'm like, I just couldn't be there. Like I just, my body physically couldn't take it. And then he's like, well, Bethany, you know, he turns to have you ever gone somewhere where you just didn't really want to be there? And you just, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I just was like, screw you, dude. Like yeah. you have no idea what I'm going through. Yeah. Love Raj to death now. But I mean, at that point I was like, well, people don't get it. No, they don't. They he minimize doesn't. how severe and crippling the anxiety disorder is. And that, I mean, that's disorder. I mean, there's the, the stuff that's going on neurologically because of anxiety is, is akin to any other mental health issue right and that's why medications are really helpful that's why maintenance practices are helpful that's why there's tools that actually work to help this but until you know you've got a problem and until you're willing to talk about the fact that you have a problem which is a theme in every podcast right yeah i didn't know i had a problem i don't want to talk about it doesn't matter what it is until you like listeners out there until you guys are willing to like really get down with yourself and look in the mirror and be like i got some stuff until you figure out what the stuff is you can't figure out how to help the stuff. And for you, you started to, what, I mean, what's the journey from there to figuring it out? Cause, cause anxiety is so hard to deal with. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But now it's better, well, worse, the well, same. I was say, or... Part of it too. I remember you saying because of your anxiety, because of your ADD, you were con- kind of considered a screw up in school. Yeah. You were never, con- how, what was that? Like how, how did you feel? I guess. Cause that, that would be tough. I did not school yeah. school came very easy for me. And so what was that like? And I think a lot of times we forget as adults with kids that some things we say to our kids or to other kids, they take that to heart and they they assume that as their identity. 
for sure. I mean, I think for me, the hardest part with it was that I, uh, I struggled in junior. I think a lot of kids struggle right when they get into junior high, (laughs) big time. And so for me, the hardest part was once people started, I kind of got known as the guy that got bad grades. And so it's weird when you're a kid where when people assume that you are something, a lot of times, even if that's not you, you just take that. And and so at that point, I was like, oh, I guess that's what my role is. I'm going to be kind of the the class clown kind of guy that doesn't care about his grades. And I mean, I remember I would get report cards sometimes that my GPA was like a 0.6, you know, which means my average grade was like a D minus or something like that for all of my class. I mean, I ended up failing throughout junior high and high school, I think, or just high school. I think I failed like 24 classes, something like that. And I'm not a dumb person at all. I just, I couldn't figure out how to deal. I had no, and I didn't know what it was. I just was like squirrel every two seconds, you know, like in classrooms and all that. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I'll just jump in real quick because I I work in my therapy practice with a lot of teenagers who fit that mold, right? There, there's this box or whatever we want to call it, this ideal that we have created in our culture that people need to just fit inside of, right? And and if we don't fit inside of it, then there's something wrong. And whether that's grades, whether that's being able to manage, you know, sit still. Like for me as a kid, it was sit still, right? Uh, I, I, the reason I picked up drumsticks is because I tap a lot. I move. I'm always all over the place. I'm kind of spastic. And drums for me became this outlet where I could take what was going on inside my body and like make it work. And I found something that worked for me that helped me to manage all the crap that was circling around in my head all the time, all the thoughts that I had, all the shame, all of the the stories, right? Like, And this it comes down to story, like... If the story you're being told is, hey, you are this, you're going to believe it because the people who are telling you this is who you are are the people you look up to, the people around you, the environment that you're in, and you have to, to survive, assimilate and become that person. Because if you kick against that, which I get a ton of kids, man, they come in and they're like, I just don't want to do what they're telling me I should do. And that can look like a million things. And these kids, they just, they're wrecked because of it. And they feel like there's something wrong or they're broken or they're, they're evil, you know, cause they don't fit the mold. And that, that breaks my freaking heart. Yeah. I yeah. remember like one of the things that I remember where I look back on it, I was just like, I remember in seventh grade, I had a teacher that, uh, I don't, I, I don't ever think I was even that bad. I really don't think I was that big of a goof off or anything, but I remember this teacher, he, he would almost tell me to go to the back of the classroom and go to sleep for his class. He would literally like tell me to go sleep in the back of the class because he didn't want to deal with me, you know? So then you start getting that where this person that is supposed to be this adult is telling this child like, Hey, I don't like you. I don't want to deal with you. Go and I'd rather you sleep in the back of my class than me deal with you. Yeah, you're not worth my time. So I look at that, you know, like now and I'm just like, no wonder I felt like shit all the time about myself. It's like I have these people who are supposed to be my teachers and 
they're sending me to the back of the classroom and telling me to go to sleep. So that way I don't annoy them with, and again, I don't think I was that bad. Maybe I could, I could be wrong, but I really don't think I was, you know? So well, and it, even if you were, it's their freaking job to help you, man. Like, and, and I, I, we don't want to give teachers a bad rap, but you know, I got my, my oldest right now is in a class. He struggles in school and, um, he's got this teacher and she just, she doesn't get him. She doesn't get him. And for that very reason, for the first time in school, he's in sixth grade for the first time, he's struggling hard. He's never struggled in school, but this teacher just doesn't get him, just doesn't understand how to work with him. And has been, and he basically is wrestling right now in his head with my teacher doesn't like me. Is that because of who I am? Or is that because this teacher just doesn't like me? That's, that's not fun at 10 or 12 or 17. I don't think adults, I don't think we adults do a good enough job like taking a step back and checking reality because kids are fragile. For sure. Very. And we don't give them enough credit. No. <clears throat> like We're they too are hard so on them. smart. Like they just, you have to find what they're smart at. So that's the thing I would say with Kevin that I remember when we were dating and we start dating and he's doing packets to graduate from high school, you know? And so it's, him and I were very different in the way, like I said, high school, that stuff, that was easy for me. That was, I was good at it. And he, that was not his thing was not, he felt like he wasn't good at it. Um, but I remember always like, as we were dating, he'd always have these ideas. Like, I mean, I want to do this business. I want to own this business. I want to do this. I'm going to do, he was go, 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 go. And I always thought, I'm like, he's going to do something awesome because he's got this energy and this drive that I didn't even have. You know, I was like, you know, I can do the logistics part of things, but I just didn't have all these ideas and the excitement behind it, you know? And so I guess I, how, you don't have to tell the story of how it came about, but what, what's the word? How did, how did you get into, cause we own our own business obviously now, but how did that start? When did you know that that's what you wanted to do? Um, so I, that's a, t- I'll try to make this the quickest way possible. So having, going through junior high and high school, like my goal was, again, my worth was very little. I felt like the best I was going to do was I heard that garbage guys made like $35,000 a year. And so I thought, you know, when you're a kid, you don't, you think $35,000 a year is like so much money. And so I thought, okay, I could do that. You know, like that's, we're like, I'm going to be a garbage. Yeah, no, for real. I'm being a hundred percent serious. And cause I felt like that's what my worth was. That's all I could do. Um, until, so this is where I would say that kind of changed was I, as I said, I went on the mission, came back and I ended up going to Granite Furniture because um, a friend of mine had a friend that was hiring and I started doing some sales there and my ADD-ness actually was great because I would walk, there was a bunch of old guys and they hated my guts because I would kill them because I would snatch up all outwork of them. I, I outworked their asses all day <laughs> long, awesome. every day. That's- And I remember like the gratification I got from finally succeeding at something. I I had had worked at five buck pizza before that as like a delivery guy and kind of managed a little bit. And I always loved that, but I wanted to own one, but I didn't have the money to do it or anything. So getting into sales, it really like 
boosted my self-esteem, my self-worth of like what I could do in life. And so ended up getting an opportunity to open up uh, my own pizza store uh, up in Sandy. I opened up actually a five buck pizza in Sandy back in, I had just barely turned 21 and Bethany was 19. Is that right? When we opened up our first I was 19 story. and seven months pregnant with our first child. Yeah. When we opened it. Yeah. I mean, so talk about anxiety. So we had... Talk about anxiety. I was just going to say. Dude, no. And we had just... It's just guy opened up a store, like, leap of faith yeah. beyond all leaps of faith. Yeah. That's and, rad. And, and so it was crazy, too, because, like, I think back now, and I'm like, we had just purchased our first house. I mean, I'm, I guess we kind of are ADD in just our lives, where how fast we just do things. It's just because that's the way we roll. I, I don't know. But so we open up this store, and I, I remember... There was this guy that was in charge of um, doing all the equipment for our store, and he was like crazy. crazy. And I remember feeling like he might murder Bethany. I, or at least that's the way I felt, like in my mind. Like he he was kind of um, he was a tweaker. He was a tweaker. Like he and there was definitely something off. Like you talked to him, you're like something's not connecting. So it was really hard to communicate with him. So that was tough. Yeah, so I remember I was having panic attacks like on the regular. And then you open up and you have no, I mean, it's like, all right, now you get open after I went through all this stuff with this guy. And then it's like, okay, you have approximately $0 coming in. You have a mortgage, you have a a child on the way, you have a spouse, and this is our only source of income. Well, because I quit my, I had worked at the bank and I quit my job because he needed me to work with him. It was, that's the only way it was going to work is if we worked the store together every day. And so I was enormous pregnant working at the store every day. (laughs) So honestly, I I would say like my biggest um, thing that I did to get through a lot of majority of my anxiety is I continually put myself in situations that normally give me anxiety because it seems like for me, anxiety comes from the unknown and from just being uncomfortable and I kind of um, almost like forced myself to this day. Like I tried to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because I feel like I get a lot of growth from it and it makes it so that way the anxiety that I have won't control me because it does, I, it, it is crippling at times for me. Well, one of the things that I, that I've discovered with anxiety is that if if we can learn to embrace the purpose behind anxiety because it's th- through evolution we our brain has created these chemicals right these neurotransmitters in our brain to heighten our awareness so anxiety has an evolutionary purpose we need to be anxious in certain situations like it's it's a part of life and if we constantly believe that I should never be anxious then every single time I'm anxious I believe there's something wrong with me and that becomes my problem. The belief that I shouldn't be anxious is actually more crippling than the anxiety itself. So what I hear you saying is you've under begun to understand that like anxiety has some sort of a purpose. That purpose for you, it seems, is to make you grow. For to sure. keep you stronger, to keep you on edge, to keep you on your toes, right? I mean, you think about the, the a great analogy is like baseball. Right, you're up in the batter's box, and you have zero anxiety whatsoever. And you have a does I mean, if you're a professional, a kid, whatever, a ball, 
hard as a freaking rock being thrown near your face anywhere from 60 to 100 miles an hour, and you have zero anxiety. What happens when he throws an off pitch? You're going to get nailed in the head. Anxiety has a purpose, sharpens your senses. With that anxiety, the speed of the ball perceptually actually slows down because your brain is speeding up. That's what it's meant to do. That's what we need. So you hear people talk about, yeah, everything was moving in slow motion. That's because time is literally relative and our brain can speed up to help us see things differently as they're happening. It's cool. That's cool. But people don't get it because they think anxiety is bad, right? We were talking downstairs. What should we talk about tonight? One of the things I said was people come into my office and they're like, I got all these, I'm so anxious. You got, can you fix me? And the first thing I say is, well, if you think you need to be fixed, you're in the wrong place because I can't fix what's not broken. You're not broken. If you're fixed, that implies that you're broken. You're not broken. We need to figure out how your anxiety serves you, how to lean into it a little bit and how to channel it. Your teachers in school failed you because they didn't get that. Finally, you get to a furniture store and you're like, oh man, I got more energy than these old little, <laughs> these old men. And I'm going to beat him to the punch yeah. every sale. And you get it and it works for you. And then you take anxiety to a whole other level and you figured out how to use it so well that you take a huge leap of faith and open your own freaking store. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I think there's a lot of hope in hearing that. Well, I hope so. I mean, that's why I'm here, right? Yeah, <laughs> Just trying sure. to. That's awesome. But what did you, you said something where I, I had a thought, but I can't remember what it was. I talked for a long time. No, you're good. But so, yes, we opened up uh, that store and it was just like every day my anxiety was through the roof of like, you know, how are we going to get to the point where we're going to be able to live? And like it made me work my ass off. Like every day I'd go to work. Bethany was in the store pregnant as can be. And I'd be like, okay. If we get a delivery, you call me, I'll come back. But like, I could not, I, I couldn't sit still. I could not stop because what, and this is kind of what I found is people, I, I'm different in the fact that a lot of people, or I would say majority of people would rather do nothing and fail than try really hard and fail. It's, um, I don't, and it, yep. I don't quite understand that, but like, yeah. it, I don't know. Like, and so Mine was, it pushed me to the point where I'm like, I will not fail because I want this so bad. And I just, until I got to the point where my sales were where I needed them to be, I was just every day, all day long out on the streets, just trying to do flyering, talking to business owners, meeting with school districts, trying to get through. I mean, I got a school district that went with me and fired another pizza company within like three months of opening up my store because like they were cheating and stuff and the district didn't know. I'm like, well, this is what they should be bringing you. And then they're like, they felt anyway, it was, it was crazy. So persistent. Like, I think that's something that most people, myself included kind of lack where that persistence of, I want this, I'm going to get it. Okay. So they said no to me. Well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk more and consistency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I actually am reading a book right now um, and she talks about that, talks about how she's, she got shot down so many times um, publishing books and wanting to, and everyone kept telling her no. And she's like, I let the no drive me instead of make me feel like I shouldn't be doing this or I can't do it. And I think that's exactly what you did is anytime you felt like there was a a block, you push through it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and I want to go back to the thing you said, because this is actually a concept that I freaking love, is the only way to create an absence of failure is to never start in the first place. Only way. You're going to fail in life. Has to happen. Failure is a part of everything, unless you don't try. If you don't try, you can't fail. But failure is going to happen. You're going to fail, and whether it's a small fail or a huge fail, it doesn't matter. Those are the only way we learn. That's, that's the biggest learning opportunities. I mean, how many times have you gone for something and not gotten it? Right? Me? Yeah. Oh, a lot. Thousands. Me too. Thousands and thousands. And that's, that's the point, right? If I think, oh, man, I'm not even going to try because I'm so afraid of failure, why try? And then if I think failure is going to kill me the first time I fail, why try again? But you look at failure in the face and say, screw you, buddy. I'm going to go hard no matter what. You tell me no, I'm going to keep coming back. Yeah, I, it's interesting you say that because, like, um, I have a friend named Blake, and he, it was, like, one of the best compliments he gave me. It was probably, like, 10 years ago where he was just like, you know, if I could say one thing about you, Kevin, he's like, you guys went through a lot of shit there. So I'll say the comment, and then I'll say kind of what had happened. And you got back on your feet faster than any person I've ever seen in my life. So we talk about, you know, a lot of people just know that, you know, okay, I have, we have three pizza places now and we own a CrossFit. Um, but a lot of people don't know, you know, in 2005, we opened up a, like a sandwich shop called Tenny's Sports Deli in Saratoga Springs. Um, started off and it was awesome. You know, like we just right out of the gates, really busy. And I still had my five buck up in Sandy. Things were going great. I promised my brother, Greg, we're going to open up another Tenny's uh, Sports Deli up in Salt Lake. I had never really failed in business in my life. And we end up spending all this money on this store up in Salt Lake in 2008, right when everything crashes. We also ended up building a new house and not selling our other house before we had built that other house and 2008 happens. And so here we are, we have a store up in, we have a, a Tenny's sports deli up in Salt Lake, just barely spent over a hundred thousand dollars on this thing. And we, 2008 happens and each month right out of the gates, we're losing like seven, eight grand a month off that store. And all of our sales from our other sports deli at one point, you know, I think we ended up getting to a point where we're doing about 20% of what we were doing at one point you know, in sales. So that one's struggling. And then, so we ended up, and we have this house that's going into foreclosure. I mean, it was just a nightmare. And we have four children right. under the age of six. Yeah. Brevin, I think was six. Yeah. <laughs> so I felt like the world was like just collapsing sure. on me, you know? And so we ended up selling our pizza place up in Sandy, ended up, making enough off that to pay off all of our debts. Okay. So this is kind of an interesting story. We, we sell our pizza place and we sold it for like $450,000. Right. And by the time we were supposed to get paid some of it later and we get this check and most people are going to hear this and be like, wow, that's freaking awesome. We get a check for $323,000. By the time we, we ended up buying the five buck pizza in, Saratoga Springs for $100,000 where we paid that off in cash. So $223,000 left. 
by the time we paid off all of our debts from all the different things that had built up, we still owed $10,000 in credit cards after that. That's how bad it was where we were at. And somehow, and so anyway, so that failure though, like I look at that now and mm-hmm. I just like, it's made me so much better of a business person because yes. of it. Yes. And it was just like, Freaking love that. yeah. And so it was interesting because then we ended up closing the, the sports deli because in Saratoga, it just wasn't doing right. But I was really agitated. I'm, I was really agitated and, um, that it failed because I felt like it wasn't a flawed concept. It was just bad. I didn't, I didn't run it right. I would have changed a lot of things about what I had done. And so we were unhappy with Fibuck and we wanted to switch. And I remember, this is another story. I remember I'm like, I want to bring back Tenny's and I want it to be my pizza company. And I said it to one of my friends and he was just like, why would you do that? Your other one, your other tennies failed. That's don't you feel like you're gonna fail if you have a tennies? And it just pissed me off Lit so you much, on fire. dude. I was like, "What? Oh. Hell no!" And so <laughs> I'll I'm like, show you. "Now I'm definitely doing it because <laughs> I know I'm right." And so I did, and I'm happy I did because it's like, that's it, us, man. That's like me and Bethany. That's yeah. we're the tennies, man. We. This is our pizza business, and I'm proud of it. So I was gonna say one thing. Kevin loves Gary V. Which most people do, I, I That's think. That's Gary Vaynerchuk. I love, that don't know. yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk. Anyways, one of his things, he talks a lot about failure. He talks about how you should fail, and you should fail and fail and fail, and how are you ever going to be awesome if you never fail? Mm-hmm. And I love it, because he talks about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And he, he always talks about how people are scared to fail because of what other people will think of them. It has nothing to do with them, like yourself. It's whatever, how everyone else looks at you, and what everyone else thinks, and... I love, he constantly is saying on his social media and everything, like, who cares what anyone else thinks? Don't let other people keep you from putting yourself out there, from doing what you love, from being who you are because of someone else. And it's, it's literally, it helps me. I know Kevin listens to him all the time for these same kind of reasons Mm -hmm. to realize that like, who cares if you fail? Like what? So my neighbor might think I'm less of a person. I don't give a crap about that. You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm still awesome, even if I failed. Well, now I just got to find why I failed and let's fix it, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I love that. I would say, um, you know, we, I failed, in the, but I would almost replace that with I've learned, you know, I've learned yeah. from that, exactly you know? Right. Um, I remember our accountant, he asked us why the, the sports deli, and I loved what he, I still use the same accountant. I, he was like, why did your sports deli fail? And I started giving all these reasons of excuses of why it failed, because that's what we in our nature do a lot of times is we try to make it seem like, well, it wasn't me. It was, it was 2008. And Something I couldn't do anything about. <laughs> yeah. Was, I, there's nothing I could do. And yeah. he was just like, you know, what I've found is people that are, and he says, I got really mad actually. He's like, people that are really good owners seem to always figure it out. And it really it made me mad because he was right. And if I would have done things a certain way and been an owner a certain way, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have failed. Yeah. And so from that point on, I've always been to where I, up on my wall at Tenny's, I have these different quotes. And one of the quotes that I have for myself are, up on the wall, it says, excuses are for the weak. And that's my quote, because I believe that. I'm not, when, whenever there's an issue, 
I hate making excuses because that's something that people that are weak do is make excuses. People that are not weak just own it and they move forward and take the next step and trying to figure it out. And so as much as I fail a lot, I feel like one of the best things I'm really good at is starting. And I feel like people that have anxiety, the biggest thing they need to do is just start. start. If you can just start, it's amazing like what kind of change will happen if you just start yeah. and not let it cripple you. Yeah, our boy Tony Robbins, I mean, you and I both love him because <laughs> he's just so wise. He loves the concept of intuition where there's something that you just intuit. You just feel like this is something you should do. He says, do it right now. Go. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what it is, just do it. Because the biggest failures happen before you ever begin because you never even tried. And I love, love, love that. Another thing you said, that was kind of like a, like a Freudian slip thing that I think was so cool. <laughs> Freudian. Yeah, nice. yeah. And I think I'm going to use this because I'm like trying to think of concepts for, for writing a book and I'm trying to f- figure out chapters, but I love this idea. Owners own their shit. I like it. Do you want it up on the wall at Tenny's? I love it. <laughs> Matt Quackenbush. Yeah, they do. Because if you're going to, the number one thing you got to own is your mistakes. You want to be an owner, own your mistakes, own your shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For I sure. freaking love that. Yeah. That's, I, that's it. I like that. That's actually a really good. Yeah. I like even the shit part too. Yeah, shit. It, shit. it doesn't stand out as much as owners own their own crap. That no. sounds dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So you learn to own your shit. Yeah. And then you move forward. Like you, mm-hmm. you start making it. I mean, you're successful. You've got life. Well, we started, we started you. over. Yeah. So what year know, is this? 2000, this 2010, 2010 was by the time we got through everything. Yeah, yeah. So it was about 2010 and we started over. We're like, okay, here's this new business. It's another pizza place since oh, we're going to figure it out. We're going to move on. Let's. Let's start again. And we did. We started to just, I don't know, just do things different. We bought a smaller house that just fit our needs. And it just, we were more comfortable instead of this monstrous house that. Lavish, yeah. We were yeah. so stupid. So, so, What's so what people stupid. Do? I, I just think it's, I, I honestly think there was nothing abnormal about what we did. But looking back, like you said, I have learned so My whole mindset on what I need and what I want and is so different now. And so I'm grateful for that because I used to think things that seem so important to me have no importance at all anymore. Well, that's what failure will bring 100% of the time. Well, failure and- produces tons of gratitude because <laughs> if you look at it any other yep. way, you're going to feel like you got shit on. <laughs> yeah, for real. Right? And yeah. so all of a sudden you look at, look at all that I have. Even though I failed, I have to focus on what I have now so that I can move forward and begin to start. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at that point, we were doing better, and we had life on track, and this is like 2010, and I had been begging for another baby. I mean, we only had four. That was not very much. <laughs> <laughs> I came from 10, so I was like, four? Who has four kids? Who has four kids? And I, yeah, I was, I was to the point where we had just gone through the worst, I mean, financial... There's not much worse in my, for me personally, than going through where you don't know how you're going to make it financially. Like you feel as a, especially for me as a man where I had never gotten kicked in the nuts at that point as far as like 
failure with my business or in work, um, I felt horrible. And I remember Bethany wanted to have another baby. And I was just like, no, I refuse to bring another child into the world until I feel comfortable with our finances and where we're at. And then finally, we ended up, I mean, Bridie. 2010, I got pregnant. Yeah, she gets pregnant in 2010. Bridie was born in 2011. And I, it was interesting because, like, my first four kids that were born, I was a slave to my work. Like, I worked all the time. And I can honestly say I didn't really appreciate my kids at all. Like, as far as, I mean, I appreciated them and I loved them. But I was always so stressed out and just trying to like build this life for them that I never really was able to. And I was always such a go, 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 build, 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 do more, do more that I never got any time to spend with them. And so I remember when Brighton was born, I had slowed down my life so much that that was like the first child that was just like I actually like had this experience with and this like it was it was just different. It was just a. I don't know. I actually felt like a dad. It was like waking up and I don't know. It was just different. Yeah. So anyway. Sorry, man. <laughs> it, You're a good man, dude. So anyway, I don't know where we were going with this. I felt like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it's, I feel like that was a huge pivotal point in our life because it's true. I tell people all the time, I mean, and not to downplay Kevin, because he worked like a dog, and I always appreciated that. Because I, kn- I was grateful because I could have kids. I always wanted kids. That was something I always wanted to do. I always wanted a big family. And so I was so grateful that he could do that. But with our first four kids, they were all pretty close, and I was by myself most of the time. I'd get up with them in the morning. I'd get them everywhere, do everything they need to do, and I'd put them to bed at night. And then Kevin would come home, and I'd get we'd get to spend time together. But... It wasn't his fault. It was just how it was. This, that was how we got through life. And so, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, we waited five years after Brinley, that was our fourth, to have Brighton. And it was cool because it was like, yeah, the first time, you know, I mean, we were babies having babies. For sure. And so at this point, you know, I'm finally, I was 31. Yeah, I was 31 <laughs> when I had Brighty. And for me, God, when my, you are so old. my first baby, I was 20 <laughs> and so I'm grandma. 31 <laughs> and I finally like felt like I had the knowledge to be a better mom. Like I, I cared. I was more into it and I felt like you were kind of the same way where we both you really appreciated the fact that we had this baby and we just, and all the kids spoiled her and it was just, we were all, we were obsessed and for a long time. Yeah. You spent a lot of time with her then. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was, it was in everything with Brighton was just different. I, yeah. It was like, even when she was born, it was like, it was crazy because we weren't sure if we were going to name her Brighton or Blakely. And she's born, and I, I really thought I liked the name Blakely better. And then she comes out, and I remember that was like the neatest experience for me as a father. Like, it was the only time that it was me and Bethany in the room when she was born. And it was just like, it was just a super emotional thing for some reason. And I just saw her, and I'm just like, she just had this like light about her, just mm-hmm. right there. And Bethany said, "You can choose whatever you want." And I'm just like, "This is a Brighton right here. This girl like just There's brightens Brighton. the room, you know." Like, so <clears throat> we go through, and I felt like honestly, like at that point, life was perfect. 
Yeah. I, I did. I remember one day I came home and I said to Bethany, I'm like, my, I don't know if you ever have this, Matt, but for me, I, I go through these gratitude um, points where sometimes like my gratitude is mm-hmm. so off the charts, like that I can't, you can't even, I, I can't explain that either, where it's just like, I get into this like weird zenny like love. It it just happened recently when we did our last Bright in a Day event. I remember coming out of that and talking with some of the people that have lost kids. And I remember I just had that. And I was texting people and just, you know, letting them know how I felt because it was just like my gratitude was off the charts. And so I remember coming home to, to Bethany and saying to her, like, I don't want life to change at all. I feel like life right now is as perfect as it could possibly ever be. And it, yeah, all of our kids were just at really good ages. Yeah, no one was, everyone was still home a lot. And we were just like this. Yeah. It just felt like this perfect little family unit, you know, for sure. And, but yeah. then you wanted another baby. Yeah. I, so for some reason it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. I wanted, I, for some reason before we ever got married, I always wanted six kids <laughs> And for, I always thought we'd have three boys and three girls. And we had two boys and three girls. And I felt like we had another one that we wanted to, to have. So we ended up having another well, one. And and it was a boy. you wanted a child to name Ripkin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have a son <laughs> named Ripkin. I know some of you guys might think that's a little weird. Why would they think that's weird? No, I don't know at all. But Because of Cal Ripkin Jr. Cal Ripkin Jr. Yeah. Yeah. Met him. I've met him before. I think he is the most solid like human being ever. He just has a gratitude for his fans. He just has a great work ethic and just seems like a solid human being. And I just think it's a cool name. Don't you have a quote of his on your wall in your office? Mm, yes. Yeah, I can't remember what oh, it okay. is. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, Cal Ripken. Yeah. And so Cal Rip coming. Yeah, we have Ripken. Well, we got, we got pregnant with Ripken when Bridie was probably like a year and a half and like three months into my pregnancy, I had a miscarriage. And so at that point I was like, I can't, I can't do it again. I'm like, I have been pregnant seven, I, cause I had had another miscarriage earlier in our marriage. And I'm like, I have been pregnant seven times. I'm exhausted. Like life is kind of, at this point I'm just tired. I'm like, I don't think I can do it. And Kevin's like, That's, if you don't want to do it, I get it. But I really want to have another baby. I'm like, okay, I'll try one more time. And I got pregnant and we had rip and it was, yeah, it was, he was Perfect. It was like so, and same kind of thing he said before. It was like this perfect end to our family. We're like, we have three boys, we have three girls. Everybody's perfect. Everyone's happy. They love each other. Yes, I mean, we had just we. It's it's like our our life has kind of gone in waves, right? We start off, everything's going great, and then that 2008 experience happens, and we go crashing, right? And then we start coming back up. And, you know, as I said to her, you know, life is perfect right now. And then, of course, then it crashes. It was, um, you know, we go through a faith crisis first in like May, trying to deal with all that and trying to figure out how we wanted to proceed. Um, And then then in January, that's when shit just just fell apart blew up basically i mean i guess i I don't even know where to to start with with all that stuff because i mean bethany talks about it in podcast one about losing brighton and stuff and i think 
everyone appreciated that because Bethany is a lot more closed off than I am. At least I think maybe, maybe not. More private. Bethany's definitely more private. Um, Which you'd never know by <laughs> listening to this podcast. I always say I'm like. Pulled her, pulled her out of her shell a little it, bit. Really? Because I'm like, I am a very private person. My close friends are the few people that know, really know me or what my deep, dark thoughts. <laughs> but this, yeah, the podcast has helped pull a lot of that out. Like For sure. Kevin's always been more open. Open, which is, and, and I'm the same, I'm the same way. And you also, one of the reasons we connect well is because you feel really deeply. For like sure. You, you've always, uh, you just, you feel a lot. Yeah. And, uh, one of the stigmas for men is that vulnerability is weakness, right? Like, and I think that's not something you and I do. Like I'm, no, I I really hope, I mean, I don't feel like I've learned what vulnerability is until the last couple of years. I really don't, you know, I think I remember, um, I kind of have two thoughts here, but I remember, so we have our, our page, the Brighton a day page. And for me, when I would be going through just a really, really difficult time, I would post on that page. And for some reason, it just made me feel better. And I remember like six months ago, you said something to me. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but I, I told you about that. And you're like, it makes a lot of sense because in like Buddhism or something like that, when you put something out there, people are taking a part of that and taking that pain from you and carrying some of that basically. And I was just like, it, it, it just struck a chord with me where I was just like, that is the epitome of the bright in a day stuff for me where it, it just like sharing your grief. Yeah. It, it's, it's so, it's so interesting. So we, we lose Brighton on January 24th. Um, she was in uh, primary children's for like three years, or not three years, three days. It felt like three yeah, years. It, it felt like a very long time, honestly. Um, the interesting part was it, until you go through, it was me and Bethany weren't quite the same on this. And so, and I guess everyone's just different, but it was, it was unbelievable. Like it was unbelievable to see like, just like how many people love you. Like, it's unbelievable um, when you're going th- through something that tough. It's, I don't know, man, they freaking, they carried me. And so for Bethany, it was different. I mean, not that she didn't appreciate it, but for me, it was like, I remember saying to Bethany, it was it was before her funeral and it was like at a nighttime. And I, I said to her, I'm like, I feel terrible that I don't feel worse about the fact that my daughter died. Mm-hmm. And the reason I felt like that was because literally nonstop all day long, every day people were doing just like kind shit for us nonstop. And when you have that, it's like, it was so hard for me to like grieve because everyone was just like, so there, you know? Um, I, I have a question for you. Cause then I, I'm not really sure, um, what your answer will be, I guess, but 
when everything happened with Brighton, and I don't know if people know this, I um, I was with Brighton the whole time. So ambulance comes, I'm in the ambulance with Brighton, and Kevin had to drive. Um, we get to the hospital, they put on a life flight. I'm on the life flight, but Kevin had to drive. So I literally, I mean, we we were not together through this experience at the beginning, especially because I was, I was with her. Even when we got to primary children's, um, I was there doing the Brighton stuff, like constantly by her side with her, didn't even notice who walked in and out of the room. I was the one that talked to the doctors. I was the one that I was so freakishly obsessed and just, you know, freaking out. Kevin was there, but doing completely something different. And I honestly don't know what, which sounds weird. Like, I know you would talk to the people that came in the room and stuff, but I guess I just wondered, because I've, I've never thought about this till you started talking, is so when I'm on the ambulance and when I'm on the life flight and you're alone, what what was your thought process? What was were your emotions, I guess? What... Because it was different than mine. For sure. Um, but, you know, and Matt, you can correct me, but when something dramatic happens, isn't it? You either, you fight, you flight, or you freeze. Okay. I remember, so a lot of people don't know the story. We, we were driving Brighton to the hospital, and she just stops breathing because we didn't want to have to wait for an ambulance. And so we're driving and then she just stops breathing to where we have to pull off the side of the road and bet and have to do CPR on her. And I, I don't even remember. Did I do CPR? I, I, I literally cannot even remember. I think I did. Mm-hmm. And then we had um, a fire or a police officer and an off duty nurse come and help. And I, re- and so you went and then finally the ambulance gets there after we're trying to give chest compressions. But I remember I had to call nine one one. And I just was in this, like, I could not believe what was happening. Like, it was just like, it's like, it's like your worst nightmare. And it's like, a, when you have a nightmare and you feel like, you know, like when you're having a nightmare and you're trying to swing and you can't do anything. That's how I felt. So Bethany goes off in the ambulance. I get in my car and I'm driving behind the ambulance and I called my mom right away. And I remember... She answers the phone. It's, I mean, what, 5 o'clock in the morning or something like that when this is happening? And I remember, and again, this is just like me being completely, I have no idea what I'm saying. And I dropped the F-bomb about, I don't even know how many times to my mom. I'm so effing scared. I don't know what the F to do. I don't talk like that to my mom ever. Like, And it's not that I was talking down. It was just the amount of emotion that I was going through. So I get to the hospital. And I remember they were trying to work on her and like sitting back and just like looking at it. I felt, I just froze. I, I couldn't do anything. And so. Just completely helpless. Yeah, I was. And I, I remember I sat there in the hall. It, like literally I was like crouched down and I was just like, what the hell is going on? And I, and I remember, like, police officers coming over and trying to, you know, console me and stuff. And so then 
um, they end up taking Bethany and Brighton and the, the, yeah, the life flight stuff. And I remember like, so my mom came to the hospital with my dad and they drove me up to primary children's and I was like, so this is the, the part of the, the anxiety that just like, I, I can't even really remember that at all, but I felt like I almost like went to sleep because the amount of anxiety that I, it, it was like oh, my Lord. body was just beat up to the max. Oh. I, I don't remember much. Maybe I didn't go to sleep. I feel like I went to sleep because that's the same exact thing we did after Brighton died. We, when we got in the car to come home, we both fell asleep because Shocked. it was just it's too much. We just went through the worst yeah. possible thing. So then we're at primary children's and Bethany is just like glued to Brighton. Like literally like I, I, my back hurt watching you by the side of that bed because she would not leave. And she was always right there. And kind of my nature in general is I'm always kind of a people pleaser a lot where I know other people loved her too. And it, it's almost like, I felt like once we got to primary children's things were going to be okay, you know? And because, you know, she's, she's stable now. She's all these things. And so all we had so many people wanting to come up and visit and stuff. And, but we only could have a few people in that room, but the nurses were awesome. Literally they broke every rule in letting us have so many people up there. And, uh, so I was kind of like, dealing with trying to make sure Bethany was okay, being a, trying to be a father to Brighton and like there. And then also trying to like these other people that are grieving too, I'm trying to give them the opportunity to like be part of this all. And it was just like, but it was also good for me because I couldn't do what Bethany was doing because it, it drove me crazy because I, I didn't want to think basically. I didn't want to think about, what the actual situation was that was going on, you know? So you took care of everybody else but yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Sounds I mean, familiar. That's what I do. Yeah. No, I mean. it's exactly what I do. It, it's like even the same thing. It was like, yeah. so we ended up having to make the call because she ended up having like um, her, her medication that they gave her made her blood pressure drop so much. And so she ended up dying. And then they brought her back to life. And then she passed away again and bring her back to life. And it kept on happening. And I just remember sitting with Bethany and for some reason I just had like this calm. I was just, it was weird. I was super, super calm. And I just said, what are we doing? We, why are we keeping her alive? This is for us. This is not for her. And so they asked us if we wanted to pull off all the life support and everything. And I said, we said, yeah. And so when we did that, we allowed everyone else to come in the room, you know, because we knew it was going to happen again. And I remember, like, I would look, I would look at, because you get to know, like, what the machines mean. And I would look at the blood pressure, and you know where you don't want it to be. Mm-hmm. And so I would watch that, and I would let people come up and, be with her. I, she never left. She never did the I whole just, time. Well, I laid in the bed. Yeah, she was in bed with her. And I would watch. 
And because I wanted to be there before she died for sure, but I wanted everyone else to have that experience too. I mean, how long? It's like 15 minutes or something. So anyway, that's just, that's kind of my nature. And that's not to like pat my, it's just, it's just who I am, you know? Like, and so. It's love, man. (laughs) Anyway, it was, it was a neat experience to go through. Not that I ever want to do it again for the rest of my life, but like. I don't know. The amount of love in that room was awesome. Anyway. <clears throat> I so, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, man. I can't imagine what you guys have been through. You know, I mean, we've become close friends over the last several years, a couple years, and, uh, and getting to know you guys, know, knowing that you're just genuinely loving human beings, to, to imagine what it would be like to lose Bridie. I can't, I can't even begin to imagine it. And I, the pain you guys feel every day and the sorrow and the loss. And, and I just, I love you guys. My heart breaks. I'm sorry. Well, I remember you were a good dude. I remember Matt reached out to me. I didn't even know you that well. And he offered, I didn't even know you were a counselor at that point. I had no idea. And I remember he sent me an email. Was it an email or a text? I think it was no, an email. It was a text. Was it? I don't know. I, it was one of the two. And you reached out and just said, hey, listen. I think it was an email, yeah. I think it was too. And you just said, whatever you need, you know, I know you might not be ready to talk, but if you ever want to talk, I'm here for you, free of charge, whatever you need. And, I, you know, it's like I appreciated it, but at the same I didn't know you. So yeah, I don't even I think I good. even thought about doing that because – at that point I had thought that like therapy, I never wanted someone that knew me at all. And I kind of, I'm a little bit different than that. Now I want someone that actually, I feel like I do better with, I bounce stuff off you all the time, all the time. now. Oh, yeah. Constantly, yeah. And so anyway, yeah, it was just like, uh, so then going after, you know, the loss of Brighton is that I made that comment where I was so lifted up. I mean, you, you were at the funeral, right? I can't oh, yeah. remember. Yeah. Man, I don't feel, I feel like the funeral was, I felt like it was uplifting. Maybe it wasn't. I was. Uplifted for sure. Yeah. It was just like, it was just, again, it's kind of one of those out of body experiences for me where it was just like, and Bethany was lifted up that day too. It was really different because it was just like, I felt like her death created so much hope for me because when she died, the world seems so cynical and so unloving and so everyone at each other's throat. And then you go through something like that and you're just like, holy crap, people are awesome. And people have made something where I'm going through hell and I'm surviving this. And it was like inspiring, you know, to me as a human being, just going through this and it's like that was, we had her funeral. She died on a Sunday. I think we had her funeral on a Friday or something like that. 29th. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't stop. People just kept on doing nice things for us. They well, just loved had, us. I think to go off of with that, there was a thousand people at her funeral. And it was, she's four years old. Yeah. It's cool. For sure. Um. One thing that I learned, and this is something I want to share, and I shared this with our friend Tom Henry, actually. Our friend Tom, he he has 
cancer and he's almost died and he still has what stage three or four i don't yeah I mean, stage four terminal for how long now yeah. yeah and i remember after going through all this and tom had people wanting to do things for him and i was the same way and for some reason going through this experience with brighton how many times do you hear someone offer to do something for you and you have pride or you don't want to put them out. And so you'll say, no, no, you don't need any all the time. Yeah. All the time. People do it. So the interesting part and why I feel like when Brighton passed away, it was such a moving experience for a lot of people was we let them in. And the way we let them in was anyone that wanted to do something. I allowed them to do that. And by allowing them to do that, it made them feel like they were part of the experience with me and people I'm telling you when someone wants to do something kind for you, let them do it because if you shut them out of letting them, you are shutting them out of your life and telling them that you don't care about them enough to let them do something kind for you. And I gave that advice to Tom and I remember him coming back and saying, thank you for that advice because it's really hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed how much more people are feeling this with me by allowing that, you know? And so that for me was like one of the biggest lessons I've learned. I mean, I remember one time our friend Eliza, she, and this was like different. She's like, Hey, I don't know what to do for you. And people, and that's the thing. If you don't know what to do, don't say, Hey, what can I do for you? Because no one, unless they're a total mooch in life, is going to tell you something. Just do something. So Eliza, I mean, she says this to me. I mean, this is like bizarre. Hey, I'm going to come over and I'm going to clean out your cars. And I'm like, normal me would be like, no. I don't need need to clean my car, no. And I just said, yes. I still remember. I mean, it was different, you know. And she did not know what to do. And that's not the only thing she did. She did multiple other things. But I remember that experience so much because she was thinking so hard of what can I do because I know all these other things are being done, but I really want to do something. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I'm like, who thinks of, Hey, I'm going to come over and clean out your cars and vacuum them and wash them. And no one. Well, the hardest thing about accepting help is it requires vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It requires somebody to say, I kind of need help. And people don't want to say that. We don't want to say that because as soon as we admit we need help, we feel like we're weak. When in reality, it's quite the opposite. We're stronger because we let people help us. That's what builds. That's what creates. That's what breeds connection and love. And that's the thing that, I mean, seems like Bright in a Day was predicated on that concept. For sure. I mean, so the int- so Brighton a Day, I'll kind of tell how that came about because I think it's a really neat story actually, yeah. is Brighton was in the hospital, a woman named Dana Pruner, who I'd never met before in my whole entire life, lived up in Eagle Mountain, and she had heard that our daughter was in the hospital, and um, she was like, I want to help support these people. Let's go um, buy gift certificates from Tenny's Pizza and spread kindness and but at the same time it makes it so these guys can make money to try to help pay for this awful experience that they're going through. So she did that and she put a hashtag uh spread kindness for Brighton. And after that happened and everything that was going on where people were helping us, 
I was just like, that is so cool. Like, that is the coolest thing that someone that I have no idea would do this for me. And so, but I never could remember what the hashtag was. Like, it was just like, is it for Brighton, spread kindness for Brighton? I, I couldn't remember. But then I was like, Brighton, this is brightening someone's day. What if we do the same thing that Dana did, but use her name and make it just a little bit easier to remember, which was Brighton a day. And we ended up like getting those cards made up and everything. And it was interesting how like the first six months after Brighton died, I have always been a person that loves to go to work. Like I just, it just drives me. I just love it, you know, and I didn't care at all. And the only thing I cared about was the Brighton and Day Foundation. The only thing I cared about was I loved seeing people post stuff in Brighton's memory because it just made me feel like it was for something, right? And that's it. I And like little by little, you know, I've gotten to where I can go to work. But people that go through this, these type of hard times, I don't think people realize like it's not just that their life is rocked for a long time. Like people that have to go to work every day at a normal job, I was blessed that I had my own company where I could do that, you know, but a lot of people can't. And I don't know how they even function. They're probably awful at work because what are you going to do? You know, totally. It's very much the case. I mean, we even had a question on this. Does trauma affect how you make money when we did our question thing? and, And your answer was, yeah, heck yeah. Right, like you have a traumatic event happen, it changes your life in every dimension. I mean, and and what's going on upstairs in your brain is your brain now it changed in an instant. It changed how it works, and it will never believe things the way that it believed it before. A new belief system is created that changes how you view the world. You've said multiple things today where you talk about, I see things so differently now. My perspective has changed. I'm a different person. And that's what trauma does to human beings. That's the nature of trauma and why we need it and why it's awful. Right. Well, I was going to say, so for us, it was, so I was in January and it honestly took, it was a, over a year later in March and we were both, we actually both went and got on antidepressants cause we had, we had to work. We, we had to function and we weren't, it wasn't a year. It was a couple months later. It's three months later. No, 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 no. I know I'm, oh. I'm getting to another oh, point. Gotcha. Okay. So we'd been on antidepressants for a while at this point, over a year yeah. and, um, to function. Mm-hmm. We, you know, at when it first happened, you weren't really working. I wasn't working things weren't getting taken care of, we fell apart. So it helped us to at least get to that functioning stage. But we were still, I mean, it's over a year, and we were, I would say, both miserable in a lot of ways. You know, we were doing what we had to do, and that was it. And I, one of my best friends, Christy, suggested we go to Tony Robbins. And I was like, seriously? Like, oh, that's what I want to do. I'm totally depressed and I want to go be around a bunch of happy people. And everyone's life is, I don't know. I, I didn't know what it was really, but I, that's how I perceived it. I thought it was a cheerleading festival or something. Yeah, Probably which I was like, that. ugh, that sounded 
awful. But yeah. I told Kevin that. I was like, Christy thinks we should go to this. She's, she said it changed her life. So he's like, well, let's look into it. No, so what happened was that happened, and then I, I told that to Melanie, like, yeah, you know, we might want to go to Tony Robbins or something like that, my sister Melanie. And she's like, I had a friend that went there, and she said sometimes they send out a buy one, get one free. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, if they ever have that, let me know. Next day, she calls me. Hey, my friend said she just got an email where there's a buy one, get one free. And to me, I am all about, like, if you put something in front of me like that, I'm going to do it. I That is the biggest thing that I feel like I do well is I start again. I, I will start that process. Which is a Tony I, Robbins yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I yeah. did. I just booked him. I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, we went to L.A. We went to L.A. and we went to Tony Robbins. And it it was the most, still to this day, it was the most life-changing experience I've ever had, ever. Because, I mean, besides the whole Brighton thing, but it was in a different way. Um, it was in a way to where he helps you understand like how to deal with life without having to take medications and how to almost see the roses in life and have gratitude in life and just like how blessed we are, you know, cause it's so easy to focus on what's not going right. What he does is he is the master of creating concepts to help people understand that we choose our reality and we create it. And he talks about choosing to live in a beautiful state and understanding that we create our own suffering when we buy into the fact that we need to suffer. And he, he has so many tools and I just, I've never been to a Tony Robbins event. I, I want to go, go so much, so bad. Like I want to go, I want to go to the big one, the date with destiny one. Oh, it is seriously uh, three days. So cool. 12, at least 12 hours a day. He's there the whole time, right. And you, it's nonstop information, tools, working on things. You are just working on yourself for three days. And the coolest thing about it is I remember coming home from it like on a high, honestly, like, oh my God, I'm changed. I'm different. I went off medication. Both of us went off. Yeah, it was, I I was changing. And I remember I had on my phone, actually, because he wants you to set goals. It's a lot of goal-setting things. And I had set these goals, these specific short-term, long-term. And I came home, and it's funny because I was determined not to lose that. And you do lose it a little. You come home, like, really happy, and life, you know, kicks you in the butt. And then you have to remind yourself constantly. But it's funny because I was actually just looking at my phone the other day and in my notes, I still have those goals and I still do them every day, every day, because I recognized, I was like, we just paid all this money. We spent all this time away from our kids. We worked, it was exhausting. Like you are working for three days on yourself, like emotionally, mentally, it's physically, it's exhausting. And I was like, I don't want to lose that. And so I do, I still, I keep it in my notes and I do those things I told myself I was going to do every day and I haven't stopped. And this was it's April, April of it's March, yeah, March, April of 2017. So is that right? Yeah. It's yeah. been a year and a half ago, wow. but I would honestly, if anyone is like struggling with that type of stuff or anything, honestly, if you are a person that you get up every day 
and you are struggling to figure out how to find any value in life, if you can somehow scrape together the money to go to a Tony Robbins event, do it. I swear you will not regret it as long as you put the effort in there. That's cool. You know, like it was, I said it was, it was life-changing for me. Love it. Yeah. yeah. And he has, not to like compete with our podcast, but he also has his own. His is pretty legit. He has some good stuff and it's always, it's always different and he has a couple of books out and there's a lot of good material out there. Tony Robbins is the man. I, I've actually since, in the last couple of years, especially since hanging out with you more, because just talking about it and really getting into his stuff, read everything he's put out and I listen to his podcast every week and I now have incorporated Tony Robbins principles in my therapy that I do constantly. He's amazing. It, it's 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 incredible. Yeah, and and the cool thing is, is he's been doing this for like thirty years or something. I, it's I think it's, it's longer than that. It, I think yeah, it's like forty years. Yeah, time. yeah, super long time. Amazing. Well, the thing is, I I think what I've discovered too is I think there's times in your life you feel like you've got a hold on things. You're like, I'm good. I'm doing good. Like I said, we we've, we've had times where like life is perfect. Everything's perfect. I honestly believe if you are not continuing to better yourself, and that doesn't mean make yourself perfect, that doesn't mean you know you're never good enough, none of that, but constantly trying to I, I read self-help books, listen to self-help podcasts, listen, Gross. and not even just that. I listen to I listen to a lot of podcasts because I want we learn from each other. I know I've said that before, but we do. We learn from each other. And I feel like the more people I can hear from and the more books I can read and the more I can learn, that's going to just make me a better person. It's going to make me a better mom, a better wife, a better business person, whatever, but I will be better. So I feel like if people, I feel like everybody should take five, 10 minutes a day and they should be reading or meditating or something that Mm -hmm. makes them a better person that makes their day better. That should be a daily practice for everybody. So if you're not doing that, start. You will see a huge change. And every Wednesday, make sure that the Finding Strength podcast is your daily. Your Absolutely. Wednesday listen. Well, here's the thing. I look at it like what Bethany was saying. It's so many people I feel like are struggling in life and they act like they don't have the time to do these things. It's That is such bullshit. It's like you will sit there on Facebook and scroll and look for 15 minutes. That's not helping you at all. Do something constructive with your time that is building you up. Like it's, it's just like one of those self-sabotaging things. It's Mm -hmm. like, there's so many tools out there that people can do, but they choose not to. It's almost like you're wanting to stay in that state. It's like, don't change, change something. If you keep on doing the same thing, you're going to keep on getting the same results. It's not that difficult to understand. Wake up five minutes earlier, literally five minutes earlier than what you wake up right now and throw on, there's meditation apps, something, change something. Something. You know, um, so I'm going to tell my one thing that, not that there's just one, one of the things that I do most with my Tony Robbins, okay, is when you're at one of those events, he plays like this really upbeat music and you're jumping around and doing all this stuff because he talks about how that puts you in your peak state, okay? Peak state is basically like your best of you version. I realized how much that affected me and I almost now, I can't even listen to slow music, but like 
at all because I hate it because I don't <laughs> I, I hate it now because I don't like the way that it puts my state. And so I have one song because I live so close to where I work now. I have one song that I get to listen to basically before I go to work and every single day it will be something that will just hype me up to nobody. I mean, and I have an awesome stereo system in my car because I wanted that so much. I will blare that and I get to work and I'm ready to freaking run through a wall. Like I am like, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's early, but so people, if you need something that's just going to get you going, if you, if you'll feel down, it was like what Matt did. It was pretty funny before we started this podcast. He's like, I'm a little bit tired. He took the Tony Robbins thing where he starts jumping up and down. If you jump up and down 10 times, yeah, do it 10 times. State. It changes your state, the way you feel it gets your endorphins. Mm-hmm. It, it just changes everything, you know? So it, huge. Y- your body is your greatest tool. Mm-hmm. Your greatest tool. It is not your enemy. Tying it back to anxiety. Yeah. People feel that when I'm panicking and my heart is pounding and I can't breathe and my vision's narrowing, that there is something wrong. No, your body's teaching you something and it's your job to learn to listen. And that's what meditation's about. That's what taking this time is about. That's what the music you listen to on the way to work is about. You're taking control of your state, of your body. Because that's your job. The old part of our brain wants to just react to the world around us. It's our job to train ourselves to learn how to act instead of react. And if we can do that, no matter what happens, we can get through it. And you guys, I mean, that you're, you're proof. You're doing it as we speak. You kill it day after day. You go down, you come back up. And you teach me a lot. And I'm... I'm intensely immensely eternally grateful for you kevin you bethany for what you teach me what you show me what i feel when we're together and i just i freaking love the hell out of you guys i can't thank you enough for being on today man i'm so glad we were able to get you on here and able to do this because i've been wanting to do it for a minute now <laughs> and um, you keep saying that i just feel like you're saying that for levi <laughs> that was, that was, i'm saying that. Love you, levi. um yeah that's I'm I'm just really, really thankful that you came in today. Thanks, man. So, I mean, aside from, obviously, I, we've, I've always felt like, and Kevin and I have talked about this a lot, actually. I've always felt like everyone here has, has heard my side of the story, and I kind of wanted, his side is different. It's a male version of how it went down, and it's also just we're two different people. Married or not, we went through different things. Another big reason I wanted Kevin on here is because People, he's, he's amazing. I mean, you guys, I talk about this all the time. He's freaking awesome. But no one sees the things I see. You know, we've been married for almost 20 years. I see him. We work together every day. We, we do everything together. And I see, and 99% of the time I feel like he is great. And he is constantly building me up and we're going and he's just on a roll. <laughs> Our, our business partner, Levi, calls him a tweaker. He goes, you work like a tweaker. <laughs> and it's true. It's a compliment. Yeah. It is true. It was such a descriptive, perfect. <laughs> it was, I was like, that is awesome. I like it's that. true. Like that. But the thing that people don't see is the anxiety. It's people see, oh, he's a successful, he's a good husband, he's a great dad, he's a successful businessman. No one would ever 
see the fact that he has massive anxiety, that even just a couple months ago, he wasn't sleeping at night because his anxiety was so bad. And he had to basically humble himself to come to you, Matt, and say, I need help. And Matt gave him tools to help him. And it's, he constantly has to learn and do and change. So I I just want it to be hope Mm -hmm. for people who have anxiety and think, well, my anxiety is so bad. I mean, I'm sure he has anxiety. It's not that. No, it is awful. It has been crippling so many times in his life. There've been many times that it's so bad. He will just go sleep for days, but he has to pull himself out of it. He, he finds purpose and he pulls himself out of that. And he's constantly using these tools and using these ways to get out of it. So if you think that your anxiety or these, you know, mental issues you have are so bad, you can't come out of it. You're wrong. There is hope and there's, you can do it. I've watched my husband do it and it's been awesome. It's been amazing. So that's what I'm hoping people get out of this podcast today. I hope so too. I mean, I guess my reason for coming on is, you know, I just look at what we've been through and what I've been through. And it's just like, it is not easy, but it would be, I can't even imagine my life if I honestly let my anxiety control it. I wouldn't have been able to experience so many awesome, amazing things that I've been able to do. I mean, one of my anxieties is, was traveling before. And I remember we went on our first cruise and it was just like, I was throwing up and all this stuff. And I, if I wouldn't have gone on that and seen how awesome it was, mm-hmm. if, the, if it would have been a bad experience, it would have been like, <laughs> I would probably would have crippled me forever. But I mean, the fact that I've been able to get over that and now traveling is like, my favorite thing in the world to do with you. It's a passion. Yeah. And so I hope, you know, I'm not perfect with my anxiety at all. It's still, I have my days where, you know, my anxiety takes control where I can't start, but it won't be like that day after day. I will start. It just might not be on the ADD Kevin side that I want it to (laughs) all the time. But so that's, I mean, just take that first step. And once you start, it's amazing how much better it gets. I promise. It's like he said, my favorite thing, and he tells me to do this all the time, is get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's true. Boom. <laughs> there you have it. Thank you for listening, guys. Another op- awesome episode of the Finding Strength Podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>episode of finding strength thank you to everybody again for listening i mean the support from the finding strength community we talk about all the time because it's overwhelming and i can't begin to thank you guys enough the support the love the awesomeness that is you guys that are you guys i mean it's just freaking legit i can't thank you guys enough uh don't forget we got Brighton a Christmas coming up through Brighton a Day. We need support. Um, one of the things that you can do is go to brightonaday.org and donate. You can donate whatever you want, 5 bucks, 10 bucks, 100 bucks, 1000 bucks, 10,000, whatever you got. Anything that you have to support Brighton a Day would be immensely helpful. 
there are families this time of year that it is the hardest time of year. Bethany and Kevin have done something amazing in starting the Brighton a Day organization. And this charity helps families, directly helps families who have lost their children. This Christmas, we're trying to brighten a day, trying to brighten a Christmas for as many families as we can. If we have enough funds, we could do it for a bunch of people. So please band together, Finding Strength Community. Upload your funds to brightenaday.org whenever you can. And if you want to be a part of the Brighten a Day movement and help brighten the day of a family around Christmas time, contact us through the Finding Strength Facebook page, through our Instagram, through my website, matthewquackenbush.com. As well, if you are in need of therapy or a therapist or know somebody who needs therapy, I'm your guy. I'm happy to help. Always on the lookout for the next person who needs help, who wants to improve their life. I do life coaching. I also do public speaking, motivational speaking. I've done spoken to audiences as large as, you know, several hundred people. So I've done a lot of different things. And if you need somebody to come speak at your next event and you want somebody to come motivate everybody, I do that kind of stuff. I'm actually pretty good at it. It's kind of fun too. So um, if you need something like that, you need a therapist, let me know. Contact me through my website, through Finding Strength, um, or through Facebook, Matthew Quackenbush, comma, MSW, or Matt underscore Quackenbush on the Instagrams. Sweet. Well, again, super appreciative of all you guys, and we hope that you're having a great start to this holiday season. And if you need anything at all, reach out. We'd love to hear from you guys. Be well, friends. Bye.